0: Where we're going to continue to worship the Lord with the reading of God's word. So encouraged singing those songs, believing what they're proclaiming is true. Singing that last song with, uh, I'm always bad at trying to re, uh, state song lyrics, but uh, we were waiting in the darkness without hope and without light, but he came for us. Amen? With mercy. Friends, there's more mercy in God than there is sin in you. He's a merciful God. And when his mercy reaches people, this is how they live. Acts 9, verses 26 through 31, a glorious picture of God's church. So when Saul, after his conversion, had come to Jerusalem, Acts 9, 26, he attempted to join the disciples. They were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. Pray with me to the Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, help us to clearly see from your word what a church should be. And then, Father, we pray that it wouldn't just be something we learn about but it's what we would live in light of here at our local church. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, any and everything that God creates and designs is counterfeited by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the more important and precious that something is to the heart of God, the more uh, often it is counterfeited. And God is the one who establishes and designs the church. And so what we want to do is is learn together what a a real spirit-led church is, the church that God joins. It doesn't matter how many people are members of a church, if God is not one of them, and in Acts chapter 9, we get this awesome picture of the church, and we're learning seven marks of a spirit-led church. Just to repeat what they are, we worked to make them all start with the letter B, just maybe that would make it a little more memorable or easy to, to remember, rather. And here are the seven marks, just read them quickly. But get them right from here. First, we want to believe that the grace of God can transform anybody. Saul of Tarsus, in that time and place, the most unlikely person to be converted to Christ. If you ask the average person in Jerusalem, they say, man, uh, it would be Saul of Tarsus. He's trying to eradicate the church, but God's grace reached him. Second mark is we want to have Barnabas-like initiative. That'll be what we focus on today. This whole um, thing turns in verse 27. Saul's left out. Barnabas brings him in. So Barnabas-like initiative and encouragement. And then a third marker of a spirit-led church is they boldly proclaim Jesus. You can't be around this people without knowing their hope is, in fact, in Christ. Crucified, resurrected, ascended, and coming again. Fourth marker, they come against the Hellenists, different culture, different language, different background, but break down cultural divides for the sake of Jesus. Fifth mark of a spirit-led church is being persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Uh, This wasn't a group of people that found it comfortable to live in Jerusalem. In fact, many of them are going to be driven out of Jerusalem, starting here with Saul six bravely sending missionaries out again a mark of a spirit-led church not so much the number of people we gather together in one place at one time but the number of people we send out to those who have not heard the gospel and then seven both walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit those are the descriptive terms in summary at verse 31 they sound contrary how can you walk in fear and comfort at the same time and again, what we take that to mean, I believe what it's getting at is we don't go to God and say, here's what we want to do in the church. No, we fear the Lord enough to say, we believe you've established what the church should do. Instead of saying, here's what we'll do, bless it. We say, what do you bless? We'll do it. And so now we take one of these markers each in turn. And this morning, the message is simply entitled, Be a Barnabas. That second marker, Barnabas-like initiative and encouragement. Friends, God loves his people. God loves his people. I I know it's uh, simple to say, but I just wanted to rest on us this morning. God loves us. Do you know that? He's full of love for you in Christ Jesus. So if you want to be like Christ, if God loves his people, you will love God's people. If the Lord Jesus Christ has a settled commitment to sacrificially seek the good of his people if your heart is to become more like Jesus you will be the same I was doing a wedding about 10 years ago now an outdoor wedding and uh, we walked in and uh, of course we'd been through the rehearsal and and so the plan was a certain song was going to be playing and as that song sort of reached its crescendo, the bride was going to walk down the aisle. So we're sitting out, or not sitting, we're standing outside and it's a rather warm July afternoon and I'm standing there, the groom's by me, the groomsmen are there, the bridesmaids are there. Song reaches its crescendo. No bride. Play the song again. Patiently wait. Maybe a little miscue. Continue to stand there. Crescendo. play the song a third time still standing there and I look over at the groomsman trying to communicate without saying anything I'm trying to read him and this huge bead of sweat starts at his forehead and goes all the way down third time through the song no bride I begin to think to myself what do you do do we go to the reception what, what do we do food's all set up everybody's there And I am, as the song is going through the fourth cycle, saying to myself, here's what you do. You stand forward and you just, I mean, everybody knows what's happening and you just sort of wrap it up. And then we go on our way. And about that time we, I should have said, the bride was going to arrive in a horse-drawn carriage. About that time we hear, horse finally arrives. After the fact, we we learned that Never happened in rehearsal. The horse just wouldn't go. Try to go. Giddy up, giddy up. Maybe the horse knew something none of us did. I don't know. But finally the bride arrives. Simple point. Simple point. No bride, no wedding. The church is the bride of Christ. If you ever get this thought in your mind that we can pursue the bridegroom without the bride of Christ... You can no more do that than you have a wedding without the groom and the bride. God loves His people, and I understand what gets a little wrong, uh, misleading in the in the bride analogy. Is every time I've been to a wedding, the bride shows up and she is dressed to the nines and ready to go. The bride of Christ is not lovely. Apart from the grace of God, there's nothing beautiful about us. Can we agree on that? It's while we were his enemies, Christ died for us. But he will make us more lovely in his sight. So we can say, on one hand, you cannot love Jesus without loving his church. On the other hand, we would say the church is not perfect. But did God begin to love you when you were perfect? Did you do something to earn his love, get your act together, Of course not. In her book, A Place to Belong, Megan Hill writes, we love God's people simply because God loves them. The Apostle John says, beloved, if God so loved us, so we also ought to love one another. God's people are not always lovely. Every one of us can be thoughtless, immature, unkind, foolish, and repeatedly snared by sin. And those are just our obvious failings. We probably don't even know the worst about the people in our church. And I'd say they probably don't know the worst about me or you too, right? But God does. And he loves us anyway. There was nothing lovely in us that caused God to love us, so we don't wait for God's people to seem attractive in order to love them. Pick up right here in Acts 9. With the people in the church... Doing an unlovely thing, right? Saul attempted. Attempted. What's behind that word? He tried to do something and it didn't work. He attempted to join the disciples. And we're not given the details of what that looks like. Maybe he showed up at the house of John Mark where the church was meeting and tried to get to the door. And he was excluded from. We're not told exactly what happens. But we're told that the attempt didn't go through. We're told they're all afraid of him. Now, we can understand if you're in Acts 9, you could go back a couple of chapters and Stephen is stoned and Saul applauds and go into Damascus. I mean, they know who this man is. But notice Barnabas. Barnabas doesn't bail on them, he stays with the church while working things for Saul's good. But Barnabas took him. And brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord. So this is Barnabas-like initiative and Barnabas-like encouragement. Hey, a spirit-led church will be made up of spirit-led people. And in a spirit-led church, there are going to be people who seek the well-being of others who serve other people in the church family, who are not self-oriented, self-focused, self-serving, but rather Christ-focused. They're not asking, what can the church do for me? Instead, they say, by God's grace, how can I build up the church? And those kinds of people, according to the Bible, are called Christians. Amen? So to be led by the Holy Spirit means to be empowered by the Spirit. Your walk, your words, your witness, your work. The Holy Spirit motivates what you do, what you say, how you do it, and to what end. So when Saul's being excluded, the Holy Spirit says, no, this can't happen. And then the Holy Spirit gives initiative to a person to be an encourager. Barnabas lives in a way that anyone led of the Spirit will live. So, as we examine, I've got three markers that I want you to see from Barnabas' Barnabas's life, but I don't want us to think about them in terms of this is what a maybe super Christian does, or this is what a super advanced Christian does. No, this is what anyone led of the Spirit would do. And the Bible says the mark of conversion to Christ is the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. For example, Ephesians 1, written by the Apostle Paul. It says, when you heard the gospel of your salvation and believed it, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of your inheritance until you acquire possession of it. The marker of a Christian is the spirit living inside of you. Now, do you think, do you think God himself could live inside of you and it have little effect on your life? Doesn't it make more sense that if God himself comes to reside in you, he will encourage you he will transform you he will make you like barnabas and ultimately he'll make you like christ because all of the things that we'll observe in barnabas's life we would be able to say very quickly these are the things that are also true of jesus so three encouragements from barnabas's life let's start with number 1 if you're going to be led of the holy spirit you will have a lifestyle of generosity and sacrifice. So we're here in Acts chapter 9, and you see in verse 27, it just mentions Barnabas without preamble or introduction. That's because Luke, as he's organized the book of Acts, has already introduced Barnabas. So let's go back a couple of chapters to Acts chapter 4, where we will see the first mention of Barnabas. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 32. Now, Has a lifestyle of generosity and sacrifice. Hey, if those who you gather to worship with gave you a nickname, what nickname would they give you? What would be your nickname? Here's what they, here's what they called Barnabas. He's Joseph, but they've renamed him Son of Encouragement. For apparently, wherever Barnabas went, people were encouraged. Now, Barnabas gives generously. We're told here that he sells some land and he takes what he gets and lays it at the apostles' feet. No strings attached. No, I'll give this money if you use it in this particular way. He's not like Ananias and Sapphira. Look at chapter 5, the very next passage. A man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So Ananias and Sapphira... They kind of want Barnabas' reputation without being Barnabas. That never ends well. It doesn't end well for them, and nor would it end well for me if attempting the same thing. Well, Barnabas has a lifestyle of generosity and sacrifice. So here's the really important question Why does he have a lifestyle of generosity and sacrifice? Can you find something in the, chap- or the, the passage we just read that leads Barnabas? To have generosity and sacrifice. See, when Barnabas gives, he doesn't just lay the money anywhere. We're told that he lays the money at the apostles' feet. And what were the apostles doing according to this passage? Verse 33. With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. See, Jesus was up out of the grave and it mattered to Barnabas. Barnabas does what he does because he believes what he believes. He believed that Jesus... Had been crucified, raised again, ascended to the right hand of the Father, soon to return. And that changed the way Barnabas saw everything. Has the resurrection of Jesus had that kind of effect on you? Does Christ rising triumphantly from the grave affect the way you see money? The way you use your time? the way you see other people. I mean, if we, if we really took an honest account of how we used our time this past week, would you have used it on the basis of Christ being raised from the dead? What's captured your heart right now? I mean, honestly. What, what, what has the focus of your thoughts, your affections, your desires? What are you most focused on? If Christ has risen, man, anything else you could focus on is so much less. An important lesson we learned from Barnabas would be before you make any important decision in your life, ask, what does the resurrection of Jesus lead me to decide, right? Barnabas approached life within the church On the basis of Jesus being raised from the dead. That's the starting point, friends. We start with him and what he has done, not with ourselves. Barnabas is the one person over here in Acts 9 who thinks to himself apparently, hey, maybe Saul of Tarsus' life really has been changed. Why does he think that? Because he believes Jesus has been raised from the dead. And if Jesus has been raised from the dead, Saul of Tarsus, even Saul of Tarsus, can be transformed. It may be this morning that you need to get tuned back into the power of God in your life. Because if Jesus has been raised from the dead, you can look to him for some big, huge, glorious thing. You can have the power to forgive. You can have the power in your life to overcome that old sinful stronghold. Don't you dare settle in your life to say, well, this sinful habit will always be a part of my life. No, the Lord Jesus Christ is alive. You can have the power to go completely against the momentum of our generation and live to serve other people, not serve yourself. Because the power at work in you is the power of God displayed in the resurrection of Jesus. So what's a piece of land? Barnabas is freed up because he knows where he's going. I lay it at the apostles' feet because they're proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. And it's changed everything about my life. So that's the first marker. You have a lifestyle of generosity and sacrifice. Friends, trouble will come into the local church when we stop being generous and sacrificial and become Something other, other than that. Number two, two, a second marker I find here in Barnabas' life is he takes the initiative. He takes the initiative to encourage others. Hey, are you entering the room this morning encouraged or discouraged? Both are powerful forces in the lives of people, are they not? I mean, discouragement, discouragement is one of the mightiest weapons of the enemy. I mean, you get a person discouraged, and it's pretty... Uh, uh well there's no limits to what might happen in their life if they're discouraged what they might do but encouragement likewise especially encouragement from the lord is a powerful influence hey can we agree on this if it weren't for the lord i'd have given up a long time ago anybody anybody else feel like that i mean if not for christ I'd have thrown in the towel a long time ago. I'd have thrown the towel on in my life, about my life. I'd have thrown the towel in about my church. I'd have thrown the towel in about the world. Easy to get discouraged. But Barnabas, Barnabas takes the initiative. Hey, uh, nobody has a neutral influence on the lives of others. I mean, your life right now is either encouraging others or discouraging others. And the truth of the matter is, the influence you have is by and large the state of your own soul. If you're discouraged, you'll be a discourager. But if you're encouraged in the Lord, you'll be an encourager. And Barnabas is an encourager, isn't he? An encourager is sort of the opposite of being a critic, right? Critics see what's wrong and point it out. And then that's the end of their job, right? Encouragers are not going through life with rose-colored glasses, but they are going through life with Christ-conforming lenses. And they also can see what's wrong, but instead of just pointing it out, an encourager seeks to help. Isn't that simply what Barnabas does in this passage? They're leaving Saul out. Barnabas takes him and brings him to the apostles. Now, why do the apostles listen to Barnabas? Because of his proven track record, right? This has been helpful in my life, and so I pass it on to you. Man, uh, uh, if you follow Christ in this world, you'll be criticized. Be criticized. Words hurt, don't they? Emails can hurt, can't they? So what do you do? Well, one of the things that I'm trying to practice in my life is always trace the source of criticism. Just see, is this of the Lord? Now, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. So we all do need correction. But it's always helpful to say, what is the source of this? Is it criticism or is it correction? Do you know what I mean? And man, the apostles listen to Barnabas because of who he has been as he's lived among them. He's been an encourager. He's been a giver. He's been generous. And so when he up and comes to Peter and, and James and John and says, hey, can we think this through? They're quick to receive his counsel because it's from the Lord. Does that make sense, right? Another way of viewing it is when someone gives you counsel, do you see the seven markers of a spirit-led church in their life? Do you see them boldly proclaiming Jesus? Do you see them bravely working to send missionaries out? Do you see them walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit? Because you don't want to get ensnared in the criticism. You do want to be sensitive to the godly correction. And we all need godly correction. I'm not advocating a lifestyle where you say, I don't care what anybody else thinks. No, we care deeply what other spirit-led people think. That's how you have unity in a church. Illustration. Suppose you're out hiking on the Appalachian Trail or something like that. And you're with a group of eight people. You're going to stop for the night and you're going to make camp. One of the things you need is a fire, a campfire, to cook with and to keep warm. Now, there is a right way to build a campfire so that it actually starts and it's also safe. So what would an encourager do when it's time to build the campfire? An encourager would not stand around. An encourager would work. An encourager would find dry wood. An encourager would participate and get the fire going. What would a critic do? A critic would stand around A critic would complain, but here's the interesting part. The critic would still want to eat and stay warm, right? (laughs) And likely claim credit for how great the fire is. Spirit-led churches are full of encouragers and scarce on critics because the Spirit himself is an encourager. Jesus said, I'll send the comforter to you not the critic to you, right? Encouragers are sensitive, man, to the hardship of other people. Barnabas can't go to bed that night, sleep well and say, well, this Saul thing, well, what can I do? Well, here's what I can do. (laughs) I can take some initiative. Barnabas is sensitive to the hard situation Saul is in. Saul can't go back to where he was But now he's not being allowed into the place he needs to be. So the church family has to be a place where people go through hard things together. In fact, one of the biggest helps in dealing with your own tough things in your own life is to seek to alleviate and help other people going through hard things. Something that can happen with hardship is you get kind of turned in on yourself and all you can see is your own hardship. But Barnabas... Barnabas, listen, it's not going easily for the people in Jerusalem. I'm sure Barnabas was great friends with Stephen, for example. And he knows Saul's participation in that. But he also believes Jesus has been raised. It changes everything about him. So Barnabas does not write Romans, Barnabas does not write Ephesians, Barnabas does not write Galatians, he does not have the teaching ministry of Saul or Peter or John, but his role in the growth of his church and the spread of the gospel is significant. I was around 11 years old when God did a saving work in my life, rescued me from sin and selfishness. I thought life was about being a good person, following the rules, and you'll succeed. That's what I thought life was about, and I thought I was pretty good at it until God shined his light and revealed to me the ugly pride that ruled and reigned in my in my heart and about that time our family had moved from Fayetteville where I had grown up the first 10 years of my life and relocated here to Rocky Mount North Carolina and I described that season of my life as fragile in the sense that I was sort of new to town all of my friends were hours away And when it comes to the things of the Lord, while he was at work in my life in a significant way, I was at a moment where I could kind of go one way or the other, drawn in or sort of drift away. And I can remember going and being invited to to a church. Uh, Just parenthetically, um, a lot of people actually go to church if you invite them. Actually, people will come if you say, would you come? So i had been invited to church in seventh grade. Sunday night, youth group was meeting. And I was walking up the stairs, and man, especially back then, I was the introvert of introverts. I didn't know how to start a conversation with another human being. And I'm walking up the stairs, and I can hear at the top of the stairs the classroom that the youth group is meeting in. And if I had a Fitbit back then and looked at my heart rate, it had been about 280. Like, I don't know if I can even muster the energy to walk in that room. It's listening to voices. Do any of them sound familiar? No, they don't. But for some reason, probably the Lord behind me, pushing me on, I turned the corner and looked into that classroom, and I didn't see a single familiar face. And I'm telling you, I was this close. To turning around and walking out in fact, this is how I was back then I had asked my mom who had dropped me off will you please wait in the car at the curb for 10 minutes in case I walk out so she's in the car I'm on the (laughs) in the land of the in-betweens hanging by a thread when somebody in the room said hey there come on in so glad you're here You can sit with me. Someone who took initiative, who clearly already had friends in the room, but who saw me, and I can stand here remembering the rush of relief when someone took the time to welcome me in. I married her 10 years later. Not saying that happens in all the situations but but listen to me i can look back and say that moment changed my life because while i am thankful that on that night i met julie that became the place where i really met jesus You can meet Jesus among a people who have Holy Spirit initiative. Because where does that come from? We sang it. When we were lost in darkness without hope, he came running with mercy in his eyes. We take initiative because we follow a king who took the initiative. And if Jesus is up out of the tomb, you've been freed up. To be an encourager. You really have a place people can be welcomed into. You really do have a Savior who loved you sacrificially. So you don't have to just drift along in the world looking for approval or meaning. Or how to handle hardships anymore. You have Christ. So he will keep you in perfect peace when your mind is stayed on him. You trust in the Lord forever. He is an everlasting rock. So you're freed up to not care. Hey, is this a rock that I can trust? Is this a relationship I can trust? Can I go there? In pre- no, no, I've got it and I want to join with other people who do too, and that is what the church is. Third marker from Barnabas is you have a personal stake in the life and health of your church. Personal stake. It matters to you. Well, if encouragers are the opposite of critics, in this marker of Barnabas, we see another mindset that cannot exist in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and that is a mindset that we are conditioned from the day we're born to adopt in this culture and that's the mindset of a what I'll call a consumer I'll just use this illustration anybody remember blockbuster video little blue membership card right In the late 80s, Blockbuster came along and we just thought it was the greatest thing ever because up to that point, if you wanted to see a movie, you had to go to the theater to see it. But now, Blockbuster has created such a situation that, hey, if you missed it at the theater or you saw it in the theater and you want to send it again, you can go to their store and you can rent their VHS and you can take it home and you can watch it in the comfort of your own home. And it was awesome. But if you weren't kind and did not rewind, charge. Or if you had to have the movie back, you rented it on Friday, it had to be back on Sunday, but it's now Tuesday and you say, wait, we didn't get... Late fee." And that stuff sort of starts to add up. And then Hollywood Video came along. Now you got options. I'm going to go to Blockbuster. Oh, got the late fee. Guess what I could do? Let's just head down Highway 301 and stop over at the Hollywood Video because I don't have such a late fee there, and I'm also a member there. What's that mindset? A consumer mindset. It's a consumer mindset. I'll just go where. It's easiest for me to be. Or, 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 or maybe uh, it's not Blockbuster, but it's a, it's a gym in town. And then he found a better deal somewhere else. Now, those places use the word member, but that's not how we're using it when we say church member. It's not what's the best deal for me or who offers what I want and like best. Paul Tripp, in his book All, says it this way. A shocking amount of Christian consumerism exists in the church of Jesus Christ today. Many believers think of their church as a place to attend rather than something to which they are intimately involved. They think of church as a weekly duty that's part of the religious dimension of their lives. And therefore, many Christians live in a Christian community where no one knows the condition of their marriage, their struggles as parents, or the places they feel overburdened and overwhelmed. No one knows what goes on in private moments of their lives where they're defeated by temptation again and again and where they are tempted to doubt the goodness of God. So if we approach church as consumers, church life will never be what it's meant to be. Barnabas demonstrates that we don't approach church life as consumers, but as people consumed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Barnabas is led by the Spirit of Christ. We want to talk about sacrificial generosity. Barnabas is sacrificially generous because Jesus is sacrificially generous. Barnabas takes the initiative because he has a Savior who says, I'll leave the 99 and I'll go after the 1. And Barnabas has a personal stake in the life and health of a church because nothing is more personal to Jesus than the life and health of a church. He shed his own blood to purchase a people for his own possession. So concluding applications. A Spirit-led church is going to be made up of people who have Barnabas-like character. So I'll give you three things. First of all, Just be flat out sacrificially generous to somebody this week. Not somebody who deserves it. Not somebody who you can expect they'll repay it, right? I mean, I'm talking about being sacrificially generous, maybe with your time, yes, maybe with your money. Sacrificially generous in a way that it'd be said, apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this makes no sense to do, kind of way. Do you know what I'm saying? Like a way that would raise the eyebrows of people if they knew this is what you'd done. Be flat out, sacrificially generous. Second, find a target of grace. Somebody that you know that you just be a target of grace in your life. Barnabas went out of his way to bring Saul in. Now I think it's helpful to see here that Saul wanted to get in. So can you examine the relationships that you have? And you can say, here's evidence. I see God is at work in this person's life, drawing him or her to himself. And I want to get on board with what God is doing there. And by the way, Barnabas does this more than once. Look at Acts 11, 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution being persecuted for righteousness sake is a mark of a spirit-led church, right? Over, Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But when they were, some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists because breaking down cultural divides is a mark for the sake of Jesus, of a spirit-led church, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. The church, or I'm sorry, the report of this came to the ears of the church at Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch, sending out missionaries. It's a mark of a spirit-led church. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Uh, um, there, there's some things in that paragraph that Barnabas does and then there's some things, friends, that only God could do. I mean, did you, did you trace the ark? They get to Antioch because of the persecution of Stephen. Who led that persecution? Saul of Tarsus did. But then as time goes by and they remain steadfast and, and full of faith, a church is planted in Antioch and when Barnabas gets there and he sees what God's doing, he says, well, I got to get some help here and he goes to Tarsus and gets Saul, the one who began the persecution, to now come to that church I mean, only God can do those things. But you see God doing things, and you see Barnabas doing things. That's what I mean when you say, uh, encourage you to find a target of grace, somebody that you're going to be in with for the long term. And we bail on relationships so quickly. I'm going to encourage you to be a Barnabas and say you're going to stay at it. The setbacks and disappointments and so on and so forth, that are just part of, part of living in a fallen world. And do you have a sincere interest in somebody's life that you can encourage and if we approach relationships with criticism or consumer mindset and not encouraging servants it's a mark that we're not being led of the spirit so do you have a a personal stake in the health and life of your church because Acts nine doesn't just happen we'll conclude there verse 31 so Because of these things, the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. Now, friends, when I'm studying the Bible and I see a word pop up more than once, I pay attention. Our fighter verse this week from Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. So here's my concluding encouragement. One of the things I'm taking, here's that word again, perfect or not perfect peace, but had peace was being built up, walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Let's be a local church in our generation whose mind is stayed fixed, focused, not wavering, not coming up with another description, stayed on the Lord. We will trust Him. He is the everlasting rock. And when Peter says, you are the Christ, the Lord said, on this rock, I will build my church. I believe the promises of God. Let's not forsake them. Let's trust that this is what a spirit-led church would be. So therefore, this is the description that ought to be true of your very own life. Let's stand together and we'll pray together. And we will turn our eyes upon Jesus. And by God's grace, look at his glorious grace for us. I want to conclude in prayer by reminding you of how sacrificially generous Jesus really has been to you. Crucified in your place. Loved you before you loved him. Came after you before you took the first step towards him. It's amazing grace. So a spirit-led church. Our minds will stay on him. And Father, I thank you. I thank you. that we can open up your word. We don't have to guess. We can open up your word and see what an encourager looks like. But God, help us right now, not to get it in our minds. We'll just go and try to do these things harder this week. To do more, do better, try harder but rather to know that these are the things that happen in somebody's life who really does believe that Jesus Christ has been crucified, buried, resurrected, ascended, and soon coming again. We cannot do these things apart from the enabling work and empowering of your Holy Spirit. So give us grace to have minds that are stayed on you. We build our lives on that everlasting rock, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.